Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, my friend, Michelle O'Grady. She is founder and CEO of Team Friday. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, awesome. Where to start? We've had some good convo, pre-podcast convo, but um, I know about your company. Would love for you to kind of intro your background and a little bit about your founding story for Team Friday. Yeah. Um, where do I start? <laughs> it's always the, the elevator pitch is always the hardest um, or the background elevator pitch, I should say. Um, so I, yeah, so I've an LA native, um, have worked in the marketing advertising industry for oof, over 20 years now. Um, I started with like the target rebrand. So target, as we know today <laughs> and started as like a, like a very young high school student PA on uh, the campaign and, um, got to see, you know, target kind of like create itself. Um, the creative director that I was that one of the creative directors, art directors, I think he was director of photography. I don't know what title he had, um, but I was his babysitter. And so <laughs> I used to get to, I was his, his kid's babysitter and he used to get to um, look at the campaign stuff and we would talk about it. And that kind of like fueled my interest in like consumer marketing. And so my background is really kind of varied in like consumer marketing and lifestyle marketing. And then I went into policy and I remember um, policy, social impact, and like impact marketing, um, almost a decade ago. And I kind of remembered like the first time I like realized I needed to make the switch is I was standing in like Maywood, which, um, if you know, Southeast LA is, um, a very heavy Latino neighbor, you know, um, dominant area of Los Angeles. And the, uh, the first four or five years of my life there. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like, if you know LA, you know LA, you know, that's like yeah. the test. Um, but I was doing a huge activation for an automotive company. And at the time I was, you know, um, in leadership at an ad, you know, advertising experiential agency. And I just remember like standing in the middle of the field, watching us sell, you know, $70,000 cars to, an area where the median income is around, you know, 30, 40,000. It was at the time. Um, and I was just like, I cannot like do this <laughs> anymore. Um, to people of color. I just think like we have like a, you know, like I, I definitely felt like a really huge, like moral responsibility and moral lift to think about like how we use impact or how we use marketing and advertising for good. Um, and so that kind of like spurred, um, the, ra the irrational, I'll say now rational decision to go on my own. Um, <laughs> and I know we've talked about being, you know, when you're, when you're making the leap to entrepreneurship, it's a little bit of, it's a lot of gut and a, and a little bit of naivete in order yeah. to, to make it through the first couple of years. Um, but now team Friday is almost nine years old. So we'll be nine in November. So we're, we're hitting, we're, we're stretching to the decade mark, which That's huge. is very Congrats. exciting. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, have been fortunate enough to stick to kind of like our mission oriented, um, ways of like re, I guess like taking huge corporate marketing, huge consumer marketing, um, tactics and, 
and ideologies and profiles and spinning them um, into helping for like social impact and philanthropy and government and um, have been really excited to do that um, in LA County, which, you know, um, is where I want to give back the most, but, you know, across the state and across the nation. How, how do you, um, one thing I haven't asked is like, how did you come up with the name? Like, is there, what's the meaning <laughs> behind it? Team Friday. So, Team Friday is like a playoff of like Girl Friday and like Man Friday, which is like your right hand person. So when we were, you know, I actually started my company with like a business partner. It didn't work out um, six months in, six months in, and it was kind of like sink or swim. So we were a team, and then we were one. <laughs> but it started, um, but it came off of that, which is like uh, you know, like there's a movie with Audrey Hepburn called Girl Friday. There's a a, a book. Oh my god. I'm, it's a huge famous author like a Mark Twain or something like that. Um, but he writes about a man Friday and it's all about like your right hand person. So when we were thinking about like, how do we, you know, like the name of the company, it's like, what do we want to be known for? You know, like we want to be like partners, you know, like we don't ever think of our clients as like, we just provide a service. It's like, no, we're like embedded. Like we get really deep into conversations, like, goals and stuff that they wouldn't even think are a part of their story or a part of marketing or a part of the functions that we provide. But it's really kind of like why, you know, how we are able to do such good work is because we like really get in there. So it's really about like a playoff of partnership and like, you know, building out, you know, like the functions of being like that right hand person, the person that you can turn to for like questions and you know, most of our clients have been with us from the very beginning and, you know, we're getting new ones and, you know, everybody kind of sticks around. And so, you know, we really are like the team. Yeah. And I, and I love that, like about your company, like you're multidisciplinary in terms of consulting, research, marketing, experiential, like what's, how, how do you, what do you call yourself? Like an, like an agency, a consultancy? Yeah, communications we have this fight in our office all the time <laughs> <laughs> i think we you know like i would describe it as like a social like a strategic communications firm for good mm. you know and in the very simplest form like communications marketing like there's so many things that fall under that and like we really think of ourselves as like listeners first and then ta- doers second and so, you know, that's really where the research comes in. That really, That's really like where we start to understand markets or start to understand goals and stuff like that. And then we devise tactics. So we don't have like a one size fits all approach. Like a lot of clients will come to us and say like, hey, we need like a digital strategy. And our first question is like, why? Like, what, do, what are the, what's the goals around it? Because what you may want to get out of that digital strategy, because some other brand or some other entity is doing that, it may not actually fit for your audience or like what you want to do. So we really like think of ourselves as like a full service, like kind of like, but like listeners first, doers second. And like we devise tactics and like approaches that fit the client's goals and not necessarily you know, just the splashy thing. Like you, not everybody has to have a TikTok channel. Like it's just, I know it's like the greatest (laughs) thing right now, but like, you know, that's not, (laughs) that's not where everyone should live. So we really like try to customize and like, make sure that we're fitting the, the kind of like getting into the nuances of like what that business does or what the goals are. And then, and then move forward from there. Yeah. I I love that. And it's, it's funny that saying that is controversial, right? Like not everyone has to have a TikTok, but like, yeah, I mean, as a research company, um, I get grounded from the results that we get like every day, right? Because it's so easy to go on Twitter and think 
everybody has a TikTok and is living in the metaverse and you're like, <laughs> no. There's a other world out there. There's a real world out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, well, let's, I, I think I have a couple other questions, but I think a cool way to kind of talk about more about your approach is maybe to talk a little bit about um, the work that we're doing together. We're helping you out uh, with the t- COVID messaging, like maybe talk about about that work. And I feel like, you know, that's a great project to kind of, to highlight your approach and, and to these different communities, especially in LA. Yeah. So we're fortunate enough to like work with Department of Public Health and, you know, COVID and vaccine um, messaging and media campaigns, which um, I say fortunate because, you know, as somebody who like lives in, you know, breathes LA County, it's like, you know, like I, it's just such a big impactful thing for me, my family, my friends, my colleagues. And so, um, you know, I'm glad that they like kind of entrust us to be those stewards for that, that conversation and, and help build all of that stuff out. And we've been, we've been kind of working in, in different capacities since October of last year. So we've been really seeing like, where you know where the the sticking points are and 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 everything and i think you know like our pro like la county is huge right it's like almost 12 million people um it's bigger than 42 states i think a lot of people don't realize like how vast and how different um the county is and how far it stretches and in in like mile and not just like miles but like in ethnicity and diversity and um and you know, just geography. Like I always say this in meetings and I'm kind of like a broken record about it, but like a Latino or a black person in South LA isn't necessarily going to be the same Latino or black person outside of South LA, you know, Mm -hmm. like the Latino in South LA is going to be different than the Latino in East LA. And Manuel Pastor um, has a really interesting book around this as well. And I would even categorize like Valley kids as like something completely different. Right. And so, you know, our approach to the work is really to get like really nuanced in community and figure out like what is driving that community as, as geologic, like as geographically like close as we can get it. Um, and then ground truth it with like a number of research areas. So we're talking to CBOs, we're talking to people on the ground, we're talking to trusted messengers, we're doing qualitative and quantitative research, and we're doing like all of these other kind of like social listening and stuff like that. Because like like you said, like we see things on Twitter and we think that that's fact. <laughs> and, you know, and it's not. It's just what lives on social media is usually a very small subset of social media people. Most social media users, which is weird that we like quantify social media as such a big thing, but most social media users, only 10% actually post content. And so when we're looking at, and most of them are lurking or or getting the information and absorbing it. And so when we look at like what is real, like we have to really ground truth it in a lot of different ways. And so that's really been our approach. Like how much listening can we do before we kind of like go out and say, this is the thing to do. And even, and that thing will be, you know, might be like 400 things that we need to do. And we start to like tackle it from there. (laughs) So, you know, like it's really a lot of like ground truthing information, not ground truthing information in terms of facts, like the facts are the facts. Um, But, you know, like from, from CDC and, you know, the stuff that we have to message, but how we do it and where we do it is, is, is as important 
as like who we're doing it for, right? And so it's really a matter of like getting people comfortable with like real messaging in ways that like they can can take it in in a lot of different avenues and then feel like they can own the message. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about like health, we're talking about vaccines, we're talking about very personal choices that people have to make and and make them for themselves and their families. And, you know, and largely this like entire collective of people, you know, on this, like we're all in a pandemic. If like, if we didn't feel like we were all interdependent before 2020, I mean, it's like a slap in the face that like everything is connected um, together and that we really have to do our part um, as a part of society. Yeah, I, I, it, you really put it into perspective when you talked about LA County and its population being bigger than 42 states. And, you know, I, I have a question in here about hyperlocalization. But if I think about like the Valley versus South LA versus East LA, it's not hyperlocalization when you're talking about numbers like that. It's literally mm-hmm. huge population. I, I mean, probably the population of the Valley is bigger than some states. Yeah, I think it's what you guys are. I think the Valley, like, and we're talking everything like past Burbank. So you're talking like Sun Valley on, right? Yeah. Which Burbank is technically the Valley, but we'll, you know, I feel like. That's a whole other community. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Burbank, Glenville, Pasadena, you guys have your own airport, you know, like it's, it's a different, it's a, it's the transitional valleys, I feel like. Um, But, you know, like when we're looking at the San Fernando Valley, like we're looking at over a million people just in that population, you know, I think it's at a million, I could be wrong. Um, But it's, it's a huge, it's a huge number of people and very dense, right? So like, you're also talking about like the density of the city, you're talking about like, the areas in which we move, like we were even looking at like COVID numbers, like in terms of like, deaths, right? Like what, what's the death population of LA County? which is around 25, we've already hit 25,000, unfortunately. But like, this is over the year since 2020. And you look at other counties that aren't as populous, and they have like 40,000, 50,000, like around the states. So when you look at like, what we were able to do and what we were able to accomplish as much as it was uncomfortable for everyone. And I and I say this all the time, like we've been remote, like for the most part since 2019. And so like not being able to go to a coffee shop and just like, work on emails like every now and then from like without being out of my house drove me absolutely nuts for a year so like i you know i felt a lot of the inconvenience my husband was like an essential worker so to speak because he you know he works for whole foods so he was at you know in the stores every day um and so you know like there was a lot of things that everybody had to get uncomfortable about but like in the end we actually did a like a I think like a really good job considering how dense we are and like what the population is in terms of like maintaining some control over the pandemic and the virus, you know, like not having more lives lost um, because it could have gotten away from us really fast. And, and a lot of that had to do with like getting, getting truthful messages out and using, you know, utilizing trusted messengers within community to, to be able to like really explain, you know, and and do some ground truthing, you know, so that people with a lot of misinformation coming at them, which was all of us, you know, if you, if you're, if you have a phone, you're, you're subject to like, being targeted for misinformation all the time, you know, like, really trying to combat that as much as possible. And, and, you know, like, 
you know, promote harm reduction measures and stuff like that. So I think we did a really good job. I think it's, it's a hard job to do, <laughs> you know, like there was a lot of, there's a lot of business loss. There's a lot of lives loss. There's a lot of, you know, all of these, all of the loss that we've had, but we, you know, we've been able to gain a lot of information and a lot of, I think, collective um, persuasion in the process of doing that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when we had lunch, I remember you talking about trusted messengers. And I don't know if it was that I wasn't aware of that concept before, but after that, when I talked to my Black and Latino friends who were vaccine hesitant and then got their vaccine, you know, way beyond when they could have, mm-hmm. both of the people I talked to, both of them were convinced by a older, interestingly female uh, family member, either an aunt or a grandmother um, mm-hmm. that got the vaccine. And so like that work is, is real, right? Cause it's, oh, tr- yeah. uh, you know, they, the, these trusted messengers uh, were likely convinced by some sort of media, something they read. Um, so that's so important, right? Cause it's, it's, that trusted messenger has that halo effect in the community that's real. Oh Which, yeah. And, and I mean like the, and you think about like when something good happens, we tell three people when something bad happens, we tell 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when we talk about like misinformation or like bad, you know, like rumors spreading, it's because, you know, like that person heard something from there and then it, you know, then it's the game of telephone, right? Like that's what we're always up against. And we're up against like, you know, then, you know, like localized, the way localized information happens, right? It's like very concentrated to a place. It's like very concentrated to a geography, but you're still dealing with like the 24 seven, like media news cycle in which everybody can be their own researcher, right? For better or for worse, everybody can Google everything and, um, and which has presented some challenges, right? And so, and like, I'll, I'm not going to deny that like, yeah, we should, we should question government. We should question, (laughs) we should question like things that we're putting into our body. Like I was never mad for people questioning, you know, anything around, you know, what they're putting into their body and like what that looks like and like all of this stuff. But I think it's like, it's become like such an interesting fact around like how we question things that we're hearing and like how we're questioning messaging now versus like, we take Advil or we take like prescription medication we, and we never think twice about it. And so this is like the first time where people are like, oh, I get to question what I'm doing, you know, instead of just a doctor kind of prescribing it to me and not a panicked phase, you know? And I think like the panic of it all, like really led to a lot of anxiety around people. Um, am I making the right choice for me? Right. And so those trusted messengers who are like, we can trust this, you know, we hear you and also like validating people's concerns. I think like a lot of, a, a lot of times the like, government, you know, doesn't really know how to validate people's concerns around things <laughs> and like they're, they're real true, like lived experiences and they're not validating the lived experiences. And so that becomes really hard. You know, like when you look at the trust score of government agencies, it's like always so ridiculously low. <laughs> Um, and it's, and, and, you know, that becomes like a really big problem, right? When you're like in a global pandemic and you have to listen to government or you have to like figure that out. Um, 
And so I think like the trusted messengers and like, you know, like messaging from like your local, you know, the local person that you see every day with whether it's in your family or your community or like an elder or anything like that becomes like such a vital like way to move the needle in terms of making people feel comfortable with their choices, you know? And so, and and I, I love how you're making like the connect, like early on, you talked about how you're taking these ideas from corporate marketing and applying mm-hmm. it into the community. And when you talk about like the good experience to tell three people and bad 10, like that's marketing 101, but the way that you're applying it to community marketing, it's like, it feels fresh, right? Like people aren't, aren't doing that, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and, and marketing is marketing, right? Like marketing messaging media, like that, those principles don't really change. It's how you integrate them and like who you're integrating them with and who you're uplifting in that process. Right. Like we always talk about like influencers. We use a lot of community influencers for this, um, for the, for the campaigns that we run and we'll continue to use them, you know, like people that can do, we, you know, we've hosted like Instagram lives with, with DPH doctors and, um, you know, like ask and like, ask me anything type of things that like targeted that ghettos, you know, like targeted, um, food entrepreneurs and stuff like, you know, like people like that, like when we got really grant targeted entertainers, comedians, you're, you're, you're you know, like about Jake Paul influencers, you're talking no, about, no, I'm talking about like, yeah, I'm talking about like creators. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, I'm talking about like, you know, we did it. We, we did an Instagram live that was like one of the best we've ever done with Memo Torres of LA taco. And he writes every day about taqueros and he wrote this like beautiful kind of article like kind of like a letter to people that go to taco stands which i love you know in la yeah which in la is is abundant right (laughs) you can find one on any pretty much on almost every street corner um in in los angeles i think that was like a campaign because they were trying to when they were trying to um, combat street vending, it was like, somebody was like, I don't want a taco on every street corner. And everybody's like, we want tacos on every street corner. Yeah, that sounds please, amazing. Right. Please. <laughs> please, please do it. You know? So that was like a, like it would talk about like marketing one one or like totally flipped the script on that. But Memo Torres like did this huge, um, like kind of Instagram live with us where, you know, he talked about like, like taco culture and like why taco culture needed to change during a pandemic. Like you can't have the sauces out, you know, for everybody to touch. You can't like, it's not the same and not the same doesn't mean that it's bad or it's worse. It just means that we have to evolve with the time that we're in, you know? And he had like a whole like breakdown with Dr. Um, Eloisa Gonzalez of DPH. And it was like, you know, a 40 minute conversation where they were just like on Instagram, like chatting it up. And like, those are the types of scenarios and like tactics that we like to employ because it gets to that community. It gets to the heart of the conversation, which is trying to make people feel comfortable. And if you follow memo, you're like more inclined to be like, oh, hey, like this is a guy that I know isn't trying to like just you know, blow smoke in the air, you know, and like be this guy, he's like really trying to do like talk about something that's serious in, in a way that feels comfortable for him and feels comfortable to um, address some of the concerns in the, in the community. But, you know, like I am, you know, I invite everybody to look at that article where he, it's like, you know, a love letter to taco eaters around (laughs) like COVID safety and why things needed to change. And, 
you know, and it was huge. And, you know, we really appreciated him. I mean, like he wrote that article and then we were like, we would love for you guys to do an Instagram live, but that's kind of our approach. It's like, we want to make sure that like it aligns with you. It's not something that you're just doing for money. You know, it's not something that you're just doing as like a paid media opportunity, but like it's because it it's really ingrained in the values and you're already talking about it, you know? Yeah. And, and um, it's interesting because, you know, so we, we tend to work, most of our work is like national in nature. And I feel like, while our companies are similar and like we work with diverse communities, like we, we look at multicultural marketing very differently just by the nature of the companies we work with. Right. Like it's like when we talk about Latinos, we're talking about all Latinos in the U S which is kind of crazy to think about when we're talking, you know, having this conversation about how a Latino in South LA is so different than East LA than in the Valley. Um, I'm curious, like what's your thoughts on, multicultural marketing like is that a thing for team <laughs> for team friday like or or how would you rephrase that or what's your like what's your philosophy i mean i think you know i think a lot about this because i think a lot of the identity question um because i am mixed right i'm mexican and i'm irish you know my husband's salvadorian um i grew up you know, like I'm very, if you look me up, I'm very white presenting, right? Like totally blue eyes. And like, you know, I just did my ancestry DNA. And so I found out that I'm like 35% native Mexican, like indigenous Mexican. And, um, you know, so I've always had these kind of like grumbling identity issues (laughs) around (laughs) multiculturalism altogether. And like, I think that's why, like I grew up in Glendale and Outwater and like my best friends growing up were were Armenian and my best friends growing, you know, my, or my best friends growing up were like Filipino. And like, I never really fit into like Latino culture in the most traditional way because I didn't look Latino. I didn't speak Spanish. Like, even though I grew up, you know, like, seven days out of the week in a very Mexican household and like grew up around a very big Mexican family. It just, it never like was an identity that I felt I could own, you know, up until like, I think I've come to terms with it now, but like, <laughs> up yeah. until like, I, I think like recently in my last, in my thirties, you know, because there is like a weird thing that happens when you're a kid. And like, you know, I think, so I, it's it's just like weird when you're a kid and you're on the playground and like kids just don't if they can't quantify you in like a certain way they don't know how to quantify you and so you just become othered and so the way I look at like multicultural marketing I think is a philosophy and like you know like my team we all have varying philosophies everybody's you know my team had you know somebody you know mercy on my team is Ethiopian and like Rigo's Mexican and Ashley's white and like you know, um, Diana is Salvadorian. Like we're all like very different. We bring different lenses to our work and I bring the, you know, like my approach to multiculturalism is like multiculturalism is going to change so drastically, you know, Mm. like my PhD study is on like the next generations and, and, um, media psychology. Right. So I, I am doing a lot of research around generation alpha, which is 2010 to 2025 and 70% of those kids will be mixed race. And so when we even think about like multicultural marketing and like where it goes and where it can go is like, we need to talk about multiculturals together, you know, like the togetherness and the belongingness of being living in areas that are, you know, like if you live in a big city, you know, 
the chances of you knowing somebody out of your like other than your race is like what like i think like one in two is that you know is like that, is that touching on intersectionality yeah i mean it it, it isn't it isn't intersectionality is really about like like shared issues you know like not necessarily like i guess it's like multiculturalism and and intersectionality like Mm. the intersectionality of multiculturalism right but i think like we don't even know how to talk about like mixed raceness we don't even know how to talk about like biracialness like we are still living in the like conundrums of like diversity equals like black or white and like like, i think about that it's so much more in that it's just so much more than that because my kids are you know I mean, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you put it so well. Cause I I think about that same issue. I'm like, we can't even agree on Latinx. Like what's going to happen with my kids? Like, Oh yeah. I mean like, and that's what I think we need to focus on when we think about like multiculturalism. It's not in the terms of right now, you know, it's what do we want it to be? What do we want it to look like? You know, I think we've been, we've been, I think we've fallen into the, like, it needs to be this group and this group and this group. And I'm not going to discount that ev- everybody's challenges are different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm more like, instead of multiculturalism, I actually want to talk about class <laughs> and mm. socioeconomics, because I think there's way more um, ways to create um, solidarity with each other when we talk about that. You know, when we talk about like, where people of generations are in the world. I mean, like, you know, the millennial generation will be the first generation that'll be worse than off than their parents. Like we hear that all the time. Like, what does that mean for the next generations then? Right? Like, and like, where are we? And like, you know, not not to discount that multiculturalism isn't important and we should be celebrating people's diversity and, and you know, celebrate, celebrating what makes people them. Um, but I think my approach is like, I'm really interested in like, how do we start to talk about the area, the, the places in which we don't even have words for yet. We don't even have language yet. And so I, I struggle with multiculturalism as like a concept and a word, you know, because it's just, I feel like it's so limiting in the, in the, the, the parameters in which it's defined right now into like the future of what is next, you know, like the future of this next generation, the future of like what our kids will look like and what your kids will look like. And like, how do we tell them that they're like multicultural without like making them check a box, you know, like, For sure. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how one, we do that. Yeah. One thing that like, one thing that we try to do in our house is never tell them that they're half Mexican or half Sri Lankan. Like mm-hmm. we tell them they're a hundred percent, Mexican and they're hundred percent Sri Lankan. Right. Um, yeah. It, that, 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 I don't know. That's, I feel like our <laughs> way of, kind of, of dealing with it. Right. Cause like yeah. technically it's true, right. They have all my DNA and they have all right. my life's DNA. And so like <laughs> they are right. Like the 50, 50 concept, I think adds to that, you know, difficulty that kids have. Um, mm-hmm. But then, and then, Another thing and then Americanness on American. top of that, yeah, right? Like, who defines Americanness? Like, like- <laughs> right? Because we kind of never talk about that, and yeah, but we we have to make a concerted effort to be like, oh, you're American too. Don't forget that, because <laughs> yeah. then I don't right. want them going out there and be like, oh, we're Mexican, Sri Lankan, and they're like, wait, what's American? And um, but I feel like they'll just get that by osmosis, like they have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know. That's <laughs> 
<laughs> which is so like when you think about it like why are we all saying pledge of allegiance at like fourth grade like we don't even know what we're saying like it's right. just so wild it's wild but i think about that you know like how we how we shape you know how we shape the conversation around identity how we shape the conversation to belong as as multicultural beings you know really is going to define how we shape communications and what we allow for you know allow to fly in the next set of communication endeavors right in the next set of advertising the next set of marketing right like we should have more racially um i i how do i say it like more advertising and more marketing efforts that are racially, um, like, I guess, like, how do Inclusive? I say it? <laughs> Inclusive, but like, I almost like, it's almost like we need more, um, we need to think beyond the traditional way in which we think about like racial mm, diversity, yeah. you know, like, it's like, you know, traditionally it's been like, have a white person and have a black person and have <laughs> yeah. like all these like traditionally presenting people where if you looked at it, even if we didn't know, they could be totally mixed. They, they had a look that we kind of like subscribe to. Right. And we're like, that's what a Latino looks like. That's what a black person mm-hmm. looks like. And in reality, it, it, they, everybody presents in so many ways, you know, like, how are we going to get away from like these kind of like, archaic ideas of like let's present it in this one way you know it's like one of the the i mean it's like when we look at even like media television it's like you know we we still are presenting <laughs> latinos in a, in a very certain subjugated way and it's like we are the we are the largest u.s like dominant like we're like i hate the, the word la- minority but the, like the largest non-white population exactly yeah. like <laughs> Like, you know what's like, a, at the cutting edge of that? Is there? You know, I'm gonna bring it back to TikTok, but I, <laughs> I downloaded. Oh my god, Latin American TikTok is my favorite. It's- but but what what one of my favorite TikTok rabbit holes? Yes, I'm on TikTok. Um, I don't create any content, but um, one of my favorite rabbit holes is like Latin American TikTok, but like these subgenres or subcultures that I've never been exposed to, like Asians in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right, like to your point, like you know me, I, I so I did grow up in a Spanish dominant household, like novelas, Luis Miguel, the whole thing. Um, but like Latinos were presented in a very specific way. Um, one of my favorite things about TikTok is like people just turning that upside down, and I love oh my it. God. You know, like you have like I didn't know. I mean, that there was like a large. Korean population in oh, Mexico. Huge, humongous. And like one of my favorite moments of World Cup, the last World Cup, was a you like it was a Mexico match. And versus Korea. Versus Korea. I, I, and there I, was, I was in I was in um I was I was in East LA watching that at an Oh my god. There. Yeah, Amazing. it was incredible. Yeah. But the there was a Korean girl where Korean Mexican girl wearing a Mexican Jersey and the guy, there was a guy filming her and she spoke like she was speaking Spanish. Like it was like, right. it, and it was like a viral video and people are like, what is happening here? And it's just, like, <laughs> yep. it's like, guys, people live all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Why are we, we're so like, 
just stuck in this like and i and i and i attribute this a lot to like western culture and american culture in particular because american culture drives what 70 percent of the media that's consumed around the world like we we like pl- like we place ourselves in these like small little boxes and we like make ourselves really small in that conversation and so we can't when things like blow up or like you know are like turning themselves on their head we're like how how is that possible and it's like we live in a global society. Like people migrate all over the world. Like there is always going to be people around the world that are going to speak different languages. You know, my husband's family is, you know, immigrants from El Salvador. They got amnesty, you know, like through Reagan, but like when they started to migrate out during the civil war, like they went everywhere, Costa Rica, Australia, London, Dubai, like, wow. Literally, you know, like (laughs) if we went, like, imagine like, Imagine us, you know, like in our very American notion, like going to Australia and wa- seeing a Salvadorian person there. Like we would be like, wait, what are you doing here? You know, like it would be so out of context because we've allowed our our contextual brains around multiculturalism to be very small and very um, like shaped by the images that we see. And I employ and invite everybody to like really have a cognitive dissonance when you're looking at something to like be like, that person can be anything, literally anything. And that's, and that's where we should start to head in all of these conversations. (laughs) I I mean, I think that's a great like wrap up, right? Like no assumptions. Um, And and that's to your approach of doing the work on the ground to figure out what, what, what you think it is. And research plays a, a role in that to, to ground set. I think that's, that's great. Like, you can't make an assumption off a of zip code, off of what someone looks like, how they sound, right? I, it's funny because you 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 remind me of a story like we, you know, before the pandemic, my wife and I would go back to Sri Lanka every year, and I always joke with her that like I'm 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 like I'm I would bet money that I'm the only Mexican on this island right now, um, and and she's like no way like and we would laugh about it whatever, and we went like up north to tea country outside of the capital Colombo, mm-hmm. like on this obscure waterfall hike, right? In the middle of nowhere. We're at the top taking pictures and there's like a guy with like Mexican flag on his shorts. And my wife's like, <laughs> I bet you he's Mexican. I'm like, no way. So I go up to him, I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's he's from he's Mexican from Mexico City. I'm like, what in the world? Like we were just <laughs> tripping out. <laughs> like I know. Uh, it's it's such an American way of thinking too. Yeah. I think like, you know, like it's in our DNA that like, we're like, Oh, like people exist out of us, you know, outside of us. And it's because, you know, like 50% of Americans never leave their home state. 75% never leave the country. I and so, not. wow, that's real. Yeah, it's real. I think it, it I mean, it's that's, that statistic <laughs> is years old. Yeah. yeah. So it might've changed. It might've shifted. Maybe it's 45, like, 65. <laughs> yeah. But not like by a lot. Right. But like, you know, like if you never leave your home state and you never leave the country, like, but 70% of the media is shaped by your country. Wow. Oh my God. You know, like our worldviews of like what is possible and like what assumptions are being made are like huge. And I think we, we see that now, like in all of the conversations around race and all of the conversations around multiculturalism and all the conversations around like 
do we do we want Latinx or not? You know, like it's so much bigger than that. Like I'm so tired of having that conversation. It's like, <laughs> like who cares? Like identify however you want to identify. You want to identify yeah. as Latino, identify as Latino. If you want to identify as Latinx, like I will call you. You know, it's like pronouns. Like I will right. totally like whatever you want me to say who you are. I will utilize. You know, like can we just allow people to self-identify at this point you know it doesn't have to be a group project where everybody agrees yeah (laughs) so so same sick of that discussion and i and i and i I, but i realized though something that the media is making this this adversarial thing in other words they're making it like hey these people want to call you this no these people want to call you that and that's not the conversation which we should be having like what do you want to be identified as? Like, I get the people that don't want to be identified as Latinx. I understand it. I don't understand the amount of hate it gets, um, but I get, hey, I'm used to be calling X, Y, and Z. Um, but yeah, I, I actually, yeah, let's not even get into that. But it's it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how divisive that <laughs> that term has become yeah it's it's nuts and it like it's like divisive for no reason like we can literally just stop talking about it and just say however you want to identify like if you want to identify as an owl i will totally do that you know <laughs> yeah i don't want to think about spend my time thinking about it i just want, like there's so much bigger work at hand i think like also like you know i i've been asked like why don't i like latin x and it's like i don't not like it but I think for me, it you know, the originations of the word, as I understand it, are like to be trans inclusive right. and trans rights and trans advocates in like South America, like really pushed for the word and like and started it. And I wonder as much as we want to adopt it, like, are we also dismissing, you know, the trans advocacy in that word? when we don't even know that that like we rarely talk about the origins of the word, you know, and with so much like piece of it is like education is missing on why. Yeah. That's needed. Exactly. And like the trans, like, and we, you know, like when we talk about identity and like, we talk about like, you know, homosexuality and like, you know, that those conversations around, like, we don't, we don't even allow those conversations to happen in like marketing and advertising when we're talking about Latino people and like, or when we're talking about like targeting Latino people. And like, that's also a problem. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to adopt a word that eradicates or erases, you know, that popular, you know, the population in which it's intended to, to, to create more um, strength around, you know, I want to be, you know, like also cognizant of that. Like I'm not a trans person, but I totally support trans people. And like, it, like I want to, I want to be inclusive. I also don't want to diminish what your efforts around it in this like trivial conversation about whether I like it or not, you know? That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, that was part of a panel um, where we talked about exactly this and I've been much more lax, like, oh, I'll use whatever. Um, But but hearing their stories, you know, people that are um, Mm non-binary, trans, I was like, I feel like everybody could use just listening to their stories because it just gave me a very different perspective on it. And it's like, if we're talking about, you know, Hispanic, Latino, this was about creating a coalition that of people that are very different. Like, totally. And so 
in the spirit of creating a coalition, like there's evolution and mm-hmm. you're including trans people as part of that now. Like, ter- I don't know. Terms should be aspirational, right? And I feel like that's an aspirational term. Totally. And we'll probably all be using it in like five years. So <laughs> all these like fights are like so futile. And <laughs> so true. Um, no, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much. Believe it or not, we're, um, we're heading into our time. If people want to connect with you, Michelle, what's the best way to find you on, on social? Yeah. So on Twitter, it's um, at O'Grady underscore Michelle or um, at Team Friday. Dot, well, Team Friday LA, even though like we're we're like Shoemaker's Daughters, we're like never on social, but you can DM us and, and somebody <laughs> will get back to you. <laughs> and, what, and what's your uh, uh, website? Oh, um, www.teamfriday.la. So yeah, come find us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for joining and thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.